All right, before I get to my next guest, Mark Wiebe, I want to give a shout-out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Finn for a course that has them near you. I also want to give another shout-out to our friends over at the McLemore. The McLemore Mountaintop community rests atop the highlands of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, overlooking historic McLemore Cove and Pigeon Mountain. Surrounded on all sides by state and national parks, historic land districts, and private land trusts, the resort features an 18-hole Reese Jones and Bill Bergen championship course, a gated residential community, and a planned clubhouse opening in the fall of 2020, plus planned hotel and conference center. The dramatic 18-hole course is made up of a variety of golf experiences, combining canyon holes, highland holes, cliff edge holes that are well-suited for the beginning golfer as well as the senior player. McLemore also offers a wonderful six-hole short course called the Karen. Designed by Bill Bergen, the Karen provides players with a short warm-up or cool-down before or after a round, or a relaxing way to improve one's game with family and friends. McLemore is located a short driving distance from Atlanta, Nashville, Knoxville, Birmingham, and Huntsville, and just 35 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, voted number one best town in America two years in a row by Outside Magazine. While a private course, McLemore offers stay-and-play packages for guests in club-managed properties, as well as a number of membership opportunities, including social memberships, non-resident memberships, and corporate memberships as well. For more information, please visit McLemore online at themclemore.com or give them a call at 800 800- All right, now back in making his ninth appearance with me is 2013 Senior Open Champion and one of the top instructors in the game now, Mark Wiebe. Let me remind you about Mark's background. He's from Seaside, Oregon and grew up in Escondido, California. Played his college golf at Palomar Junior College and then transferred to San Jose State. While at Palomar, he was the individual medalist at the 1977 California Amateur, and he won the Idaho Amateur that year as well. He was named second-team All-American in 1979 at San Jose State. That season, he and Don Levin teamed together to win the Silverado Invitational in Napa, California. He turned pro in 1980 and started on the PGA Tour in 1983. Got his first career win at the 1985 Anheuser-Busch Classic when he beat John Mahaffey with a birdie on the first playoff hole. He won again the following year at the Hardy's Golf Classic by one shot over Kurt Byram, thanks to a birdie on the 17th hole during the final round. Mark matched Bobby Watkins' record for being the youngest winner on the Champions Tour at 50 years and 10 days old when he won the 2007 SAS Championship. In 2013, he won the Senior Open Championship at Royal Birkdale, defeating Bernhard Langer on the fifth playoff hole after a final round 66. He doubled down a few weeks later, winning the Pacific Lynx Hawaii Championship and a playoff over Corey Pavin. In all, he won eight times as a professional, twice on the PGA Tour, five times on the Champions Tour, plus the 1986 Colorado Open. He was inducted into the Colorado Golf Hall of Fame in 2011. You can now find him out in Scottsdale, Arizona. So, folks, if you're looking to take your game to the next level and you're anywhere near Scottsdale, reach out to Mark on his website, markweebygolf.com. And I'm thrilled he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Mark, how are you, my friend? Chris, 
I just have to say night time. Yes. Wow, I'm I feel like one of those guys on Saturday Night Live that has hosted so many times. I feel like I should be in a club or something. <laughs> Indeed. I can't believe it. You know, hey, look, I'm as honored as I could possibly be to be able to say you've been on the show eight previous times and I get to have you for a night. So you're outstanding, my friend. Thank you for uh, all your support over the years. Oh, you're, you're way too nice. I, I appreciate being on and always a good time talking to you. So, Mark, I, I got to congratulate you for your son, Gunner. Gets, uh, gets a big win at the Assistant uh, PGA Professional Championship over the weekend. You got to be a proud dad. I am super proud. Uh, way exciting. It's a, it's a long story, probably too long for the show, but uh, Gunner kind of said, okay, Dad, I need you to come and, and you can't gallery and you can't be out there during the tournament but we can go down early and i need some help with my game so uh we had a great trip out uh got there on a sunday night and i left on tuesday night to come home but we just kind of focused on his game and what it was going to take for him to you know have a successful tournament and uh lo and behold he had a very successful tournament so it's a it was Really fun for me, obviously, as his dad, but also as as his coach, and he's my coach, and we have a great relationship outside of the father-son. So it was really a, a great time for me to be involved in a little way um, on just kind of steering him in the right direction, and we talked just great. We just had a great time together, although it's always short. Uh, when you're with your kids, especially during the COVID time. Uh, but we had a great time uh, together and talked about, like I said, what it was going to take to, you know, buy in this tournament and have a chance to win it. And like I said, wow, it, it was so cool to see that all happen and see him stand up. And and hopefully uh, he uh, learned everything. And I, I learned always. I always learn, but uh, just to watch him reach his goal, his ultimate goal for the week was fantastic. And like I said, to be just a small part of that was even made it more special for me. Oh, good for you. Mark, I got, I got to have you answer something for me. I had Owen Brown on the first segment tonight. And uh, as uh, we were parting ways at the end of uh, our, our conversation, he said, Hey, say hi to Weebs for me and, and just start out the conversation by saying, hey, man, he'll know what it means. Yeah. What, is, well, what does that mean? Olin and I and Steve Pace, these are, you have to be a golfer to know these names, but Olin and I and Steve Pace, for whatever reason, each time we saw each other, it was always, hey, man, how's it going? Hey, man, hey, man. So we, we called it kind of unofficially the Hey, Man Club. And uh, we've we've been saying, saying that together for I don't know how many years now. We're getting older, uh, but this dates back to the tour life, not just the senior tour. Uh, but we've just been kind of buddies for that long. That's what golf does for you. It's such a great game in that way that it, you know you have you create these friendships. 
I, I heard you say that you haven't met someone on your, on your earlier segment, but you've texted back and forth and your dear friends. Isn't that something that golf can do that? So, yeah. uh, Steve, Steve Pate, Olin Brown and myself were, were the three amigos to the Amen club. And, uh, you know, Olin's a dear friend of mine and will be forever. And so is Steve Pate. So, uh, I'm honored to be with them in the Hey Man Club that nobody even knows about. <laughs> let's let's talk about another exclusive club. As I was doing some more research on you, back in 1989 at the U.S. Open at Oak Hill, you, Doug Weaver, Jerry Payton, and Nick Price all made hole-in-ones on the par 3-6 hole in about a two-hour span of time. You're now the four aces out there. Talk about that. Well, uh, wow, I have tons of emotions about that. Uh, first and foremost is we're in the Hall of Fame for that, so isn't that something um, that's just kind of a coup? Uh, but, you know, I, I, I play, obviously, I played that morning, and uh, I, I heard it was an hour and 50 minutes, four aces, and I heard the first two because it's the sixth hole and I was on the course. So, and you know where it's coming from. You know the course and you know, and the, when the first one happens, you go, oh, hole in one on six, because you know where it, you know, the direction that, that the cheers are coming from. And so, you you know, you go, oh, that's cool. And then you play a hole or two or however long it was. And then you hear another roar and you kind of look at each other like, wow, that sounded like the same spot. It sounds like it's over on six, but it might be five. It was second shot over water, and it might be dramatic. But then you kind of hear it through the through all the gallery and the you know the whole officials on their walkie-talkies going, "Hey, another hole in one," and, and yada yada. And I'm, we're all kind of going, "Wow, that's crazy." So uh, I'm playing number five, and I, I made a, a bonehead move and I hit it in the water on my second shot and I was very angry at myself and uh, I made a double bogey and I walked to the 6th and I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was, I was really, for me, I was pretty angry with myself because it wasn't a, you know, golfers, we can, we can tolerate bad breaks and, and, uh, and this and that, but when it's a mental error, uh, it's hard because we're the only we're the only ones in charge of our mental error. There's no one else we can blame. It's inevitably it's us. So I went to that next tee and I had made a bad mental error and I was so mad at myself that I I, could, I didn't even hardly talk to my caddy. He gave me the yardage and I remember hitting my shot. I hit a great shot and I, and obviously it went in. Uh, I was the third of the four aces. And I remember handing Cameron Whittle, my caddy at the time, my seven iron, and I said, well, that takes care of that double bogey, doesn't it? So I didn't even rejoice at the time that I was one of three at the time to make a hole-in-one. I was still so mad at losing two shots in the event, the major championship that I'm playing in. All I could think about was, well, I got those two shots back. Didn't matter how I got him back. I'm I'm trying to buy in this tournament and and, and beat something. And I will I will also say 
I, I wish I had that to do over again because I'd probably rejoice a little bit more in the moment. Maybe not be so hard on myself. But you know what? Hindsight's 2020. So uh, uh, anyway, yes, I am one of those four knuckleheads that made a hole in one. It's a great bar bat because you're going to know. I'm sure it is. Uh, uh, and you're going to know all, and Nick Price, obviously, and then you might know me from, I, I had won at the time, I had won a couple tournaments. Doug Weaver, no chance you're going to know who that is. So, although I, I know Doug, obviously, I played uh, many tours with him and stuff. I knew exactly who it was. But as a bar bat, you're not going to come up with that name. Mark, we're obviously talking a lot about the Masters tonight on the show, and you had an opportunity to play in the tournament a few times. What are some of your favorite memories from uh, playing at Augusta National? Well, I will tell you, uh, you know, I, that's my that's the major I played in the fewest times. Uh, I only played in three Masters, although some people would say only. That's a lot. But, you know, when you look at guys that have played years and years and years and years, uh, I'm just a rookie. Uh, but I will tell you that the the air is so thick um, with spirits and golf and uh, that it's hard to take a breath. I will. I'm not. I'm not making that up. That's a, it's a it's a different feeling than I've had anywhere. And I think maybe it's because I watched it on TV my whole childhood. Um, I was nervous at all the majors, the PGA, the U.S. Open, and the British. But never like the Masters. I, Masters had had more of a uh, <clears throat> wow, uh, undefined. I wasn't. I don't know if I was scared, but I was out of my element. I didn't get it. I didn't. I didn't know why I was feeling like this. And uh, that that's what that brought to me. And I will tell you, by the third time I played, I actually felt kind of normal. Um, I think I played my best for a few rounds. I still had that one round that the guys are shooting 65, and I'm thinking, I I don't know how to cheat shoot that low. So uh, <laughs> I, I was just trying to, you know, tread water, I guess. I, I just never had the game, uh, I, I didn't think, anyway, to play that golf course and, and have a chance to win. And I, I, I will say in all the other tournaments I played in, I always felt like, you know, if I played good, I had a chance to to be in contention at the end, and I never saw myself at Augusta in the Masters. I never visualized that. I never pictured it. I, it was hard for me. Uh, it's it's not an easy golf course. I mean, the the players now make make it look so easy. I mean, watching Dustin Johnson this week, and, and not just him. He, I mean, obviously he played better than everyone else, but so many players. Uh, it seems like there's 13 is an easy, we reach it in two hole, and all you have to do is this, and that all you have to do part is not as easy as TV makes it look. It just makes it look so automatic. And, oh, yeah, they, they all hit good drives on 13 and 15, and they all hit a big drive and hook it on 14 and have a little club in. That's just not true. and. and it's too bad because, you know, we all see the people that are playing the greatest, but uh, Augusta's not easy. Although, although in watching it this year in November, 
which is even silly to say. Uh, totally a different golf course than the one I watched on TV and the one I played three times. Um, very softer, way slower greens until maybe on late Saturday and then Sunday, I think they had some speed. Uh, but, but flying the ball pin high on 11, you know, with an iron shot and having it down the green, uh, that stuff just didn't happen when I was playing. I, I, I don't think it happened for anyone. We all had to kind of make it curve as it, after it hit the ground, we had to make it curve towards the hole so it wouldn't go over or in a bunker or in the water. <laughs> you know, it was, it was so demanding. And not that it's not demanding now, but it is a, I, I really felt like this is a different Augusta. Uh, the thing that's so cool about that is you had number one still winning it. So it's incredible uh, how that all works out. And what what Greg Goff, uh, Dustin Johnson played, unbelievable. And Mark, to your point, how difficult was it or how long did it take you to learn, you know, how to hit those greens, where to hit it on those greens, and then how to putt those greens? Well, that's the deal. I mean, you know, a little bit of that is luck. We all try to hit it below the cup on certain holes, and Augusta has more certain holes than other courses. So, I mean, it's imperative if you want to play aggressive to be able to putt uphill if you can, because even those are fast, uh, to do that. But but you're also back there uh, in the fairway, hopefully, with an iron shot that you're hoping you can get it have an uphill putt. You're also hoping to get it on because it could take a ramp and be off the green and be into a shot you have never practiced. Or if you have, it hasn't been very long. So there, there's all that's lurking. So as you're over your second shot, you know that in the back of your mind, what's lurking up there. Um, and it's, it's, it's hard. It's a lot of pressure on each shot. Um, I think in today's golf, there's more, uh, I'm going to go for it. And if I do it right, I'm going to win. And I might win by a lot. And if I don't, oh, well, there's always next week. So uh, I, I, I do see a lot of, a lot more guys playing so aggressive and, and at the, at the, just at the end of their game. And I feel like when I played, I think there was maybe more of, let's see how things go the first two rounds. You're kind of adjusting and, and organizing your way into the weekend on what you, you know, for your score, not only just to be in the hunt, but just for your score. And it, it just is so demanding. And, and I got to tell you, it's spiritually, it's a thick, it's a thick air situation. It's, it, it, it feels like it's ghostly in a way. Um, whereas the PGA, the U.S. Open and, and the British, had that same mystique to it. It just didn't kind of grab you so much. It just, uh, um, they all have their own, obviously they all weigh their own amount in, in the scheme of things. But uh, I think Augusta, because we saw so much of it on TV as a child, I, I watched it. You know, I watched Tom Weisskopf was my favorite golfer and I watched Jack beat him so many times. And, you know, my life crumbled for a couple of days. And, uh, anyway, I, I, I think that that's what brings on that 
uh, mystique or whatever that word is that I'm searching for uh, on Augusta. But I have to tell you, isn't it great? Wasn't it great to watch in our COVID times? Wasn't it so cool to see golf, you know, even without a gallery? It was so fun for me. I, Indeed. I it was fantastic. So, Mark, why was Weisskopf your guy? You know, I'm not sure. I, I think because he was taller, and I'm 6'3", so I, I seem to be, as a golfer anyway, uh, one of the taller guys um, all through junior golf and and even college golf. I was one of the taller guys and many tours and tour. And, uh, so I, I think I just kind of watched. It was at the time that Jack was the guy, and I watched this guy, Tom Weisskopf, that was taller, and he had this swing that was un, uh, mesmerizing and looked like it was so efficient and he could never hit a bad shot heaven forbid um and he just carried himself in a way that was uh was there was something about him uh the funny thing is years go by so i'm a wise guy years go by and i'm playing with his little brother dan in a college tournament and tom came out to watch his little brother dan who i'm playing with and then I walked with Tom Weisskopf in a college tournament for, I don't know, the last five or six holes and just asked wow. him questions. And all of a sudden, the college tournament meant zero to me, um, although it meant a lot. I, I was so into, kept telling myself, I'm walking with Tom Weisskopf. I'm asking him questions, and he's answering. I think I called my dad that night and said, hey, guess what I did today? You know, no big deal, but guess what I did? Uh, so the times like that are uh, are priceless, aren't they? Indeed. And Mark, you have a uh, a special connection to another golf course that's hosted major championship, Cherry Hills Country Club, there in uh, your home state of Colorado. And as I was going back, uh, like I said, doing research on you, um, going back to the PGA Championship that was held there in 1985. You're playing in a in a major. You're playing in a golf tournament, and then afterwards you're getting in the car looking for a house to buy there. Talk about your decision yeah. that you wanted to live there. Well, uh, you know, we had my wife's sister and her husband and two small kids were living there at the time, and uh, and my wife's uncle and aunt were living in Colorado Springs. So, uh, I, you know, here I am, a Southern California boy, and Kathy and I are trying to figure out a place we might like to live, and we have some family there and love Colorado. All you have to do is go there and realize how much you love it. And uh, so we said, you know what? The PGA is here. Let's use this time to look for a house. And, uh, you know, as fate would have it, that was our first place we bought. I think as after we were married, we bought a little uh, townhome um, in Colorado, in Denver, outside of Denver, in Highland Ranch, and that was just the first. That was the first part of 30 years living in Colorado. So uh, it all started with getting into the PGA. Now, if I don't play in the PGA, do we end up living there? Who knows? Uh, but I do remember. And then I ended up becoming a member at Cherry Hill, which 
actually adds to the irony of the whole thing. Um, you know, it's one of those I knew the right guy that was the right guy, and he sponsored me, and I was I got into Cherry Hills and was a member there for 30 years, and absolutely one of the greatest times of not just my life, but our our family's life. Our kids grew up, you know, playing golf and swimming and taking being on the diving team, the swimming team, the tennis team, the golf team, uh, and doing it all right there at Cherry Hills. It was a great uh, time for my wife and I to raise our kids and uh, some some precious uh, memories for us. Mark, that same year of 1985, you get your first PGA Tour victory at the Anheuser-Busch Classic. I'm curious, were, were you prepared for what it was going to be like? Did it change your life a lot when you became a winner on tour? Were you prepared for that? Well, you know, I was not prepared. I, I didn't know. I, I, I just knew that I was pretty good, and I knew I could win. And, you know, my wife and I had just gotten married in 84, so we were, uh, you know, embarking on a new adventure here. and. Uh, and so I just I, I knew that you know I was a good golfer. That's what I knew, and I and, and we just went out and you know back in the day it, it it sounds like I'm such a geezer, but I mean it was it was still back in the day. A uh, couple examples, for instance, um, through our having kids and stuff, we actually took 13 pieces of luggage uh, on a plane at one time. Can you imagine wow. nowadays doing something like that? I know it. So, uh, but to answer your question, no, you know, I, I don't know if you're ever prepared. I, I, I think maybe some guys are that expect to win. I, I just never expected to win. I always thought I was good enough to win. I worked pretty hard and I'm a pretty good golfer, but you know, so is everyone else. So, you know, you, you need the stars to line up a little bit, uh, and you need to have a nice week of luck and you need to be on the ball and you have to be, you know, fire rhythms have to be on and you have to be mentally prepared and all the cliche things that go along with it. Uh, but I, I don't think I was ever ready. And then all of a sudden, that's the weird thing about golf is each, whether you're ready or not, when that last putt sinks by somebody, it's over. So you go from a, a four or five hour period of or, or more because you're on the range to maybe a six or seven-hour uh, intense mental uh, grind. And then when it ends, it ends with a putt, either your putt or somebody else's putt, uh, but it's over. And so uh, I don't know if you prepared. I, I mean, I never prepared myself for the victory speech or um, what I was going to say or what I was going to feel. I just wanted to play. and. Um, and and then all of a sudden it happens. And you know, one of my favorite uh things to say in life is when you least expect it, things happen. When you expect it, it doesn't seem to happen, but when you least expect it is when it shows itself. And I think in that point I, I think I if if I remember right, I had missed five cuts in a row, but I really liked my game and and it was like my wife is going, You you sure you like it? <laughs> it's good because <laughs> you keep missing the cuts here, and I'm like the same. I'm going. Ah, I thought I was. I feel pretty good, but uh, and then all of a sudden, 
you know, it's like I said, that it's not just the stars align. You just become into that that place. And if you're comfortable in that place, uh, then great. And and I found that I was comfortable in. Uh, I found more fun in being in the hunt than out of the hunt. And I think during that week of my first win, I think I realized I really like this. Uh, I like that feeling. It doesn't. It, it drives me, gives me a tickle that I've been looking for. So uh, it wasn't just the win, it was being in the hunt and, and then being able to, to close the door on it, obviously, is unbelievable. But uh, yeah, yeah, I hope that answers that. Yeah, it does. So but let's fast forward a year because you win again the following year at the Hardy's Golf Classic. So did that validate for you and, and, and for everybody else, for that matter? that was playing out on tour that 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 previous win it wasn't a fluke and you belonged at the you know not only on tour but you belonged amongst the guys that uh, could win week in or week out at that point yeah i without a doubt chris uh i will tell you and i i don't mean to belittle or or anything on my anheuser-busch plastic that was an incredible win i will never forget my first win it was unbelievable but i will tell you to me the second win validates the first win a little bit more and uh, as a player you you i i don't think we ever think we're lucky uh but as a player you you kind of are saying you know even if you thought it was lucky the first time well i did it again so am i lucky again so you're you're kind of uh you're kind of uh Pounding your chest a little bit, I guess, and saying, I, I am here. I am here, and I am here to stay. So anybody that thought I was lucky the first time, yeah, well, I'm back again. That's what I felt. I'm not, I don't know if everybody felt that way, but I really did feel like the second win on tour validated so much in my mind that I wasn't just a lucky winner. I was a multiple winner. And that that changed my life quite a bit. And after that Hardy's Classic, uh, the Buick Open was the next tournament the following week. But you decided to go back to your home state and play in the Colorado Open instead. And I and I read it might not have been uh, a popular decision amongst everybody not to go to the next you know event on tour to go back to Colorado. Talk about why you decided to go play there as, instead of going on to the Buick Open. Well, that's such a nice question, bud. Um, you know, uh, I live in Colorado at the time. I had committed to the Colorado Open. I had just won a tour event. It's a big deal for me to go play in the Colorado Open, and I, I knew that. Sure, it would have been a great idea for me to go on and maybe win another tour event. But I had made a commitment to my home state of their open. And I talked about it with my wife, I talked about it with my agent, and it was unanimous. There's one thing to do here, and that is to come home, play in the Colorado Open, honor my commitment, and answer every question everyone has to ask, and do everything I can to make that Colorado Open uh, more special than the other. So it, it was 
I, I mean, I, I gave a lot of thought to that because, you know, selfishly you're going, yeah, I got stuff going on here. I, I want to go, I want to go play and I want to continue and extend my streak and stuff. There's, there's times that you just need to do the right thing. And that was the right, that was the right thing to do for sure. And <laughs> who would have thought it, but I won. So it, it really, and then I gave half my check to uh, Craig Hospital. So it, it became a, uh, what a great decision, as it turns out. Again, hindsight. Uh, it turned out to be a great decision in our community and for the tournament and for Craig Hospital. So it was, it was an awesome time. Take that a half a step further, Mark. Talk about Craig Hospital and your special attachment to it. Well, you know what? When we moved to Colorado, you know, you're always trying to get involved in the community. And I, I'm not a I'm not a big boisterous guy that says hey and blows the horns and everything. Look at me, what I'm doing here. We just did things in a subtle way, and that's my wife and I. That's the way we roll. Uh, so, in fact, um, I just was I was I couldn't believe. The money you, for one thing, I, I was so young and in looking back, I couldn't believe the money you could make for certain uh, foundations and or charities through playing golf. I just couldn't get over it. And uh, to be able to, to honor Craig Hospital in a way that they were one of the sponsors of the golf tournament and me and, and listen, being a resident and, and part of the community made a big difference to Kathy and I. We just wanted to be involved. So uh, it, it turned out to be um, we, we just were honored. And, you know, when I when I did it, I won the tournament and did all the fanfare and all the stuff you do after. And then I actually went in, I don't know, an hour or so after the event, went into the tournament uh, trailer and, and told them what I'd like to do and they, they couldn't believe it. And there was no media around because they had all left. And I said, this isn't about the media. This is just about helping. So, Mark, it was, it was a special time for sure. Mark, one more before I let you go. And I, and I want to get uh, a playing lesson from you because you're such a wonderful instructor of the game now. And, and for those of us that are struggling with short range putts. Maybe we've got the yips, whatever it might be. Talk about what we can do in order to make more of those, you know, four or five footers, those sort of knee knockers that we need to make. How can we shave some strokes off our scores by thinking more of those putts? Well, you know, we all know that it comes down to that, right? That's how golf is. It comes down to that little knee knocker, no matter how long it is. Some people are good at two feet and they're bad at three feet. Some people don't like four footers. Some people don't like eight footers, what, whatever your case is. Uh, there's just, you know, there's some mental preparation that goes into this. Nothing is easy. Um, but it, you, you know, I, I have, I'm 63 now. I have hit, uh, I don't even know how many putts. I'm, a, I love putting. I'm a great putter. Um, and I love the, that part of the game. I love that uh, I can save myself always. So if I can get the ball around the course and keep it inbounds and out of the water, I'm probably going to have a pretty good round. 
because I can chip and putt. So uh, my mind was always on, if I get it to a certain point, I know how to execute. And I, I think people, uh, because and maybe because of watching TV, they put so much emphasis on putts and what they mean. And I, I had a, a coach of mine who's a dear friend of mine, Tommy Sanderson, who, when I was a youngster, said, why did you take that much time on that putt on four than you did on five? And I said, well, I really wanted to make it on four. And he said, don't you really want to make them all? And that stuck with me pretty hard. And he's right. I want to make them all. So I treat every putt. I don't put a value on putts. I don't, I don't say that this is for a bogey or a birdie or an eagle or a double or a ten or whatever. It's just this putt. And if we, if it, if we boil it down to, let's say, let's just say it's a six foot putt. And don't you want to make all of your six foot putts? regardless of what they mean at the end doesn't yes. matter what they're for i just want to make that six footer so i became uh entrenched in this idea of making these six footers and i i never i can promise you in all of my tournaments that play never was i over a putt thinking what it was for ever ever i always thought want to make this putt because I'm a good putter. And this is a six-foot putt. It's an eight-foot putt. It's a four-foot putt. Whatever. I'm a good putter. I don't ever want to miss this. And I don't care what it's for. I may have hit five balls out of bounds and it's for a 13. I still want to make that putt at the end. So I think, I think you know, in all the programs I've played, as you know, Chris, for years and years and years and years in programs, I do see amateurs put value on the end and i'm like yeah the value is i want to make this i don't i don't care what it gives me i want to make it regardless what it gives me because it's i want people to say great putt it doesn't matter what it was for it was a great putt so i'm hoping that answers your question and absolutely does mark before i let you go like i mentioned you're a wonderful instructor now and you're out in scottsdale arizona for people anywhere near there that would love to come and get a lesson from you, talk about how they can do it. Well, the best way is to go to my website because that has all my information on it, and that is markweebygolf.com. Thank you, Chris, for, for that. Uh, you know, you can get my website. I think even my phone number's on there, so if you have any questions, uh, I'm teaching here in the Valley. Love it. Uh, I, I do not have one place yet that I'm teaching. I'm looking for that. So if that were to come about, that would be fantastic. I've got a couple clinics and a couple uh, private outings here in the Valley and love what I'm doing. I love sharing the things I've learned over the years. And uh, I, I I don't have a method to my madness. I just I just feel like I can make you shoot a lower score. And that's, that's kind of my catchphrase. You know, if you want to get better, come and see me. I can make you better. Well, Mark, you uh, coming and being a part of this show now nine times has made this show better. So I know you can make people's golf games better. 
I can't thank you enough for your friendship and your support. You are just one of the absolute gems on this planet. I can't thank you enough for uh, coming back and being a part of the show again tonight. And I'm uh, already looking forward to show number 10. You're awesome, Chris. I, 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 I just enjoy being with you and you ask great questions and, and I love the conversation. So thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. Mark, stay safe out there, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up again soon. See you, Mark. All right, bud. That's the great Mark Wiebe. So, folks, and W-I-E-B-E is the spelling of his last name. So, MarkWiebeGolf.com is his website. Um, you're anywhere near Scottsdale. You want to take your game to the next level. Go see a major champion and let him work on your game because he's going to get you there. Absolutely. What a fantastic uh, individual. Mark is, and a great player, and an even greater teacher. So uh, you've got it all there, right? Total package. Great guy, great teacher, great player. He's going to help you out. So looking forward to catching up with Mark again, hopefully real soon. All right, my friends, it is time for us to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks again to Owen Brown, Matthew Lawrence, and Mark Wiebe for joining me. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. And we are down to our final show of 2020, and that's going to be next week. So, And we're going to go out in style now uh, by being joined by our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Of course, we're going to go out with TP. Uh, former tour player Nick O'Hearn will be back on the show, as will former NHL star and celebrity tour champion Dan Quinn. Dan, a great friend of the show, former Penguin. Played for a lot of different organizations in the NHL. And then a, a great golfer went out on the celebrity tour and uh, won many, many times. So looking forward to having Dan back as part of the show as well. Folks, you can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great sites and apps like podcast.co, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm, Radio.com. We're on Amazon Music now. So if you've got a favorite podcasting site, we're likely on it. Just do a, a search for Next on the T. And folks, as always, I can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you are continuing to make us a part of your golfing content. Until next week, my friends, hit them straight. Well, I'm